My name is Jeremy Anderson, and I have the awesome privilege and opportunity to uh, not only share God's Word with you this morning, but serve as the uh, middle school ministries director here. And so I get that privilege of hanging out with all those 11 to 13-year-old students that some of you guys are scared of. Um, so actually, it's, it's funny, even just this last week, I had somebody, lots of people will ask, like when they ask, what, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a middle school youth pastor. And they're like, man, you really have a hankering for trouble. I'm like, what do, you, what do you do with that? What do you do with that statement? Like, uh, yes, I do. Or you're like, no, I don't. And then it's like this, it's so awkward, right? Um, even this last week, I had someone come up and uh, he was asking, talking about it. And he was like looking at my head all weird. And I was like, what is going on? He's like, your hair is good color. I was like, this is by far the most awkward moment of my life, okay? And I was like, thanks. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like, well, typically if you work with middle schoolers, you go gray real fast. It's like, I'm only 24 years old. I can't be going gray already. So um, I say that as joking, but the reality is sometimes people will look at middle schoolers or teenagers as if they're some weird sort of subhuman creature from a different planet in some faraway galaxy. And it's like, I don't get these beings, right? And I got to admit, it's true. No, no, it's not. And for you teens in the room, you guys are awesome. That's why I love spending time with you. Um, that's definitely not true at all. Uh, but what is, what is great, I've noticed, and you know, teens kind of get a rap sheet sometimes, okay? And, and one thing that is always on this rap sheet is cell phones, right? It's like this new appendage that teenagers have grown over these years, and it's like now it's just attached to them all the time. And if you doubt me, if you just look at a group of teenagers, I bet the majority of them are going to be like this. And you're going to be like, how do they even interact? But I think there's a benefit to it. The benefit is we are going to have the most well-documented generation going through their awkward stage in life ever. So we have years and years of entertainment left to come. So you teens, just think about that. Every time you put something on the internet, it is there forever. And when you're older, it'll still be there. I just got married and there was stuff that I put on the internet that showed up in my wedding. So uh, beware. Um, but a lot of you more experienced saints in the room, you probably didn't have those appendages when you were uh, younger, so you had a lot more free time and undirected energy that you could spend on doing whatever you wanted, like getting in trouble. So I, I want to make the argument that perhaps teens today are even more chill and getting less trouble than you were when you were in middle school and high school, but you probably just don't remember it that way. Um, uh, I say that because we all were teens, right? I was a teen just a real short time ago. Only five years ago, I was still a teenager. Uh, but if you think back with me for a second to what those years were like, you might have to dig through some cobwebs and be like, all right, we're going back to the middle school years, those high school years. Remember, when you were there, you knew everything. Or at least you thought you knew everything. And you had this whole plan going on, and that was great for you. But at the same time, Middle school and high school was kind of like this, this struggle for survival, right? You're, you're constantly looking out for your back. Your, your social feelers are always out there. Where are you at in the social structure of your school or your community? Trying to make sure that you've got a good reputation. You've got your wolf pack that's with you because everyone knows without your wolf pack, you're all alone. That's just not a good place to be as a teenager, right? And remember the awkwardness too. That's one thing I do say I love about working with middle school. As much as I love you guys, you are very awkward people, all right? 
This is a, a season in life where so much is changing. You're kind of being introduced to the world around you and you're trying to figure out what that means. There's uh, family structures is starting to feel a little different. You're starting to get some independence and all this stuff and everything just feels a awkward. And need I talk about the voice changes? You remember it, especially you gentlemen in the room. You remember talking and just praying you could get through a conversation without your voice jumping ten octaves, right? It's a joy to work with teenagers. So why do I talk about this? Village Bible Church is a church that believes in passing the torch. If you've been around here for any period of time, I'm sure you've heard the words, discover, develop, and deploy disciples. That's what Village is about. We as a church want to discover, develop, and deploy disciples. And just one of the many ways that we're doing that is through uh, ministering to our teenagers in the student ministry. Um, And the last thing we want to do is look at such an impressionable age and say, we're going to ignore you. We don't want to discover, develop, and deploy you as a disciple because, well, maybe you're just not ready yet. We'll wait till you hit college. We'll we'll wait till you hit your mid-20s. We'll wait till you have a family. Then we'll develop you. No, we want to start even now while they're teens. So if you would turn your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, we're going to hear the heart of a pastor, an apostle, and a disciple maker, Paul, to Timothy, one of his disciples, and the importance of passing the torch. It's on page 998 in your pew Bibles, if you're using that in front of you. So go ahead and read that for us now. Paul says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's a big one, young guys. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let's pray as we get started. Lord, we thank you so much just for the opportunity and privilege it is to be here. In your infinite wisdom, you've chosen to use humans to uh, pass the torch of the gospel message from generation to generation. And we thank you for that responsibility and that opportunity it is to serve in your kingdom. Father, I ask that this morning you would convict and call, send and encourage those who are in this room. Lord, that you would now speak through me as only your spirit could, as you open the hearts of everyone here to hear from your word this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul's urge to Titus in this passage is to pass the torch, and that those he passes the torch to would then continue to pass the torch. And you might be thinking, well, this is a very cliche student ministry message, Jeremy, of course. Well, it kind of is. But this is the heartbeat of the student ministry as well. And that's what we want to do on a student ministry Sunday, is share with you guys what the student ministry is all about, what we have going on, give our students an opportunity to serve, which I think they've done an awesome job at this morning, and also to share why it is that we do what we do, and to invite you to be a part of that as well. 
So we're going to look at four actions this morning that are involved in passing the torch. And we're just going to kind of walk through these uh, from the standpoint of somebody who is passing the torch. And in the midst of it, there's going to be some challenges to those who would receive the torch as well. So um, as we look at the closing verses of chapter 1 in Titus, if you just glance to those real quick, Paul actually calls out some believers who... Uh, he says, are defiled and unbelieving, in whom there's nothing pure. He then says that uh, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And then the next thing he says is, but. And that's how he starts chapter 2. Now in our Bibles, we have this big, gigantic number 2 there, right? That you look at it, and what we naturally do is we make this division, all right? Now this is a change of thought. But if you were to read this like a letter... It's a smooth transition. As Paul talks about these people, and he says, but, and he moves to to Titus and his church, and he says, but you are to be different. So right away, we're going to see a distinction. And the first thing that we are going to learn is that Paul urges us to carry yourself well. Passing the torch involves carrying yourselves well. In order to pass something on to someone, you first have to take hold of it yourself, right? Right? That's why he encourages Titus, you've got to have the torch. You cannot pass something on to someone else that you do not already have as a relevance in your life. And many of us today, you may be sitting here and you've been involved in many different ministries, whether it be from children's ministry, student ministry, teaching an adult class, or leading a small group, whatever it may be that you've been involved in. And it's no doubt that when we serve in ministries, we want to reap a harvest of fruitful ministry, right? And some of us may find ourselves saying, my ministry's been like a barren wasteland. There's been no harvest. And what happens is we'll quickly shift the blame to the crop, right? We'll shift the blame and say the land was bad, the seed was bad. But never could we give ourselves any faults for being the farmer that perhaps we have failed too in planting. Sometimes we have fruitless ministries because... There is no fruit in our own lives to which bear, to bear seeds from and plant again. So we must, as believers, take up the torch in order to pass it on. So what does this mean? I'm going to say that uh, we have to carry ourselves well. What does that mean to carry yourself well? It requires that we know the Savior. Now, you might be thinking, well, Jeremy, this is a no-brainer. Of course. Of course you need to know the Savior. A savior. Yes. But do you really believe that? Do your actions demonstrate that? Do you really believe that you have to know the Savior? Now, I'm a newly married man as of the summer. It's got a good ring to it, no pun intended. Oh, except for the pun was intended. That was very much intended. Um, And I thought I would do a little research. Now, what I planned on doing was staging this little... uh, conversation, all right? I was going to set up my phone in a way that it would, could record the whole thing with my new bride. And um, Well, one, I thought that might be a little deceptive and might not go over well, so I didn't do that. Um, but I did have the conversation. I asked Bree, I said, Bree, what would you think if we were to do like marriage from a distance? You know, like we'll be married, but we'll just kind of like do our own things. We'll just kind of stay separate. I'll know you from over there. You know me from over there. And what do you think about that? And she laughed it off and was like, ha ha, yeah, no, that's not, that's not happening, you know. I uh, know you're not serious, which is probably good because if she did think I was serious, there's a good chance that I'd be a dead man and wouldn't be standing up here to talk to you today. So, um, 
But she said, this, this is just not a good idea. And my guess is that my wife is similar to most of the wives in this room. That you would not want to do marriage from a distance. But Bree loves to, at the end of the day, talk about how the day went, ask if there was any crazy adventures that I went on that almost took my life. And normally I say no. Um, and she likes to know about those kind of things. She likes to talk, and she goes into very much detail about things. that I'm like, I don't even remember like what color anything was or you know the exact words of what they said or i i don't know because she'll always be like well what did they say exactly how exactly did they say i'm like this was the message this is the over like the summarization of it but i can't remember the details she's like you've got to know the details but that's the way that brie works she wants to have a marriage that is is close, that we do things together and we're involved in each other's lives. And I think most of us in this room would say that, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Can I get an agreement from everybody? That would make sense, all right? But why would it be then that at times we feel that that kind of relationship is appropriate with our Heavenly Father? We like to, at times, keep God at bay at an arm's length and say, you know what, don't come too close because I don't want to give too much up. I don't want to lose too much. I'm scared of what you may do with this aspect of my life. I'm scared of what you may do with that aspect of my life. Father, just say over here, I'll be a Christian by association. That may be true for a lot of us, but why, if it's not an appropriate relationship with our earthly peers and husbands and wives, why would it be okay with our Heavenly Father? So for some of us, we need to start knowing God, knowing our Savior relationally. It's more than just knowing him intellectually. That's an easy thing to do. You can study the Bible. Lots of people study the Bible and know well. But do you live that out? And so that's going to take us to the second thing, that we would live out biblical standards. Now, Paul isn't down with the whole idea of just talking the talk. He says there's got to be a walk that goes with it, right? There's a time and a place for the talk. That's a good thing. Uh, But the more difficult is to walk it out. So Paul says to speak the things fitting of sound doctrine. And later in verse 7, he says uh, that in all things you need to show yourself an example. He says, listen, Titus, it is time that you and your church model the message that you preach. Model the message that you preach. Uh, Some of you may know at the beginning of uh, summer, it was a week and a half before our wedding. Uh, It was... Uh, Sam's 18th birthday, and we were taking her out to lunch so her friends could set up a surprise birthday party for her uh, right after church, and we were driving north on 47, and we got in a car accident. Some of you guys drove by, and uh, my car got totaled, and that left me with some conversations to have with insurance. And I found out that the other driver had covers through the same insurance company, and I was like, oh, this is great. This is all going to work out wonderfully. Oh, wonder- I'm so glad. It's all in-house. This will go fast and easy. I couldn't have been more wrong. It was weeks, a whole week after the accident before I even had a rental car, and I was like, this is getting out of hand, all right? And I had all the confidence in the world, the whole go-get-it mentality when Bree and I would sit in our little living room area and we'd talk about it. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to call them up, and I'm going to tell them that this is what needs to happen, and they need to do this and that, and we need to get the ball rolling and all this stuff. And I was like, fired up, right? I was like, we're going to get this problem solved. And here I am, a young man, just married, trying to be, like, impressing my new bride. Like, I can do this. Like, I'm going to go get the job done. And so I call up insurance, and, you know, you know how they answer the phone. Hello, Mr. Anderson, how are you doing today? How can I help you? Like, real nice. And I tell you, it's hard to, like, 
put the pedal to the metal when someone's being real nice to you, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm doing, I'm okay, you know, and then the conversation goes on, and by the time I hang up, I'm like, wow, that did not go how I planned it to go at all, right? And so Bree's like, well, how'd it go? Did you get it all figured out? I'm like, well, uh, no. So <laughs> this is where we're at now. She's like, oh, you've got to, like, actually do this, you know? So for me, it was, it was easy to talk the talk, you know, when we're sitting in the living room. I could, I was all fired up. That was the easy part. The hard part was getting on that phone when there's an actual human being on the other end of it and, like, putting that pedal to the metal and being like, we got to do something about this. That was difficult for me. Walking the walk was much more challenging. And it's only more true in our Christian lives. A lot of times we know what the right thing to do is. We may know what God has called us to do. But that's only so good. And in James, he even says, don't just know it, but you've got to become a doer of it. Do you walk that walk? Does your life look different? Does it distinguish itself from even the other people who would profess to be believers and then not live that way? Do your... Do you respond differently to crisis? Do you respond differently as a Christian to triumph? Do you treat others with more love and respect? Are you more compassionate on those around you? Do your priorities look different? Does the way you spend your money look different? Does the way you spend your time look different? As a Christian, if we are walking with the Lord, these things, there should be an easy tell if you, if you are walking with Jesus Christ. And D.J. Kells once said, the beginning of self-mastery is to be mastered by Christ, to yield to his lordship. True spiritual self-discipline holds believers in bounds, but never in bonds. Its effect is to enlarge, expand, and liberate. I think, sadly, sometimes we view the Christian life as the opposite as if we are putting bonds on in some ways. I can't do this, or I shouldn't do that, or you know, I have to go do this. And sometimes we enslave ourselves to those instead of experiencing the freedom that Christ offers. And we had a, a, a group of men from our church just go on a, a trip to Danville Prison, and they just got back, and I was talking to a couple of them, and as you talk to them, the experience that they had there, prison is not a nice place. Prison is a place where the words that they said is there's no hope. There's nothing nice about it. And that's the kind of life that God wants to free us from, not to put us in, right? As believers, that's not what the reality is that we're to live in, is, is a life that is dark and hopeless and like, oh, it's just, it's, it's an excitement. It's liberating is what uh, the idea is. So brothers and sisters, we have to remember that you know, living out biblical standards and knowing the Savior is a, a task that's too heavy for ourselves to bear. That's why God has given us the Holy Spirit. So even to do it, we must draw closer to the Lord. We must draw close to God to live with God. It's, it's amazing how God has set that up. And that's why Paul would say, so your opponent would be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So you would have a testimony before others that would leave them speechless. J.H. Jowett said it true, fine living is not only a fine argument, but it is also an effective silencer of bad men. Does your life testify to the fact that you are a believer? Are you carrying yourself well? Are you carrying the torch? That leads us to the second thing in passing the torch is connecting with others. Discipleship happens only in the context of relationships. And extensive research has been done. Um, I'm kind of making this up, but extensive research has been done that if you are holding a torch and you don't pass it on to someone else, one of two things is going to happen. Either your hand is going to get burnt 
or the torch is going to burn out. You have to have somebody to pass the torch to. And there has to be relationships for it. In Romans 10, 14 and 15, Paul says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And believers, we have been sent. And what we call the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And there's a very special word there that I like. It's a two-letter word. It's go. Go. Don't sit around and wait. Don't wait for someone to come up and express the interest to you. Hey, I want to learn about God. But go. Just like Belle said, they went. They said, we're going to go. And they talked to her friend. And she said, yeah, you know what? I do want to be a believer. I do want, I just don't know what to do. What if she would have never asked the question? Go. Don't wait. Be proactive. Discipleship requires Relationship, And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a sermon that's a sales pitch for student ministry. I'm not up here just say, hey, you need to come serve in the student ministry. We'd love that. But really, this is, a, this is a calling that's been put in all of our lives as believers to pass the torch. It doesn't matter if it's a teenage student. It doesn't matter if it's your neighbor, a coach, uh, a co-worker that sits in the cubicle next to you. It doesn't matter who it is, a family member, but our calling is to pass the torch. No matter where you find yourself in life, there's somebody around you that you can pass the torch to. In this passage, there is a specific call, though, for the older to teach and model to the younger. That doesn't mean that if you're one of our well-experienced saints that you're going to go and be like, okay, I'm going to go hang out with 12-year-olds. You know, maybe that's not where you're being called, but maybe you are called to come along someone else who's starting a family. You've been there, you've done that, you can help teach and model and show them, this is what I've done, this is what God shows us to do. And be an example to those who are watching around you. I had a, you call him a youth pastor uh, growing up, he was just a, a volunteer guy from my church who decided to lead a small group for high school students on Wednesday nights. And uh, his name was Aaron, I loved Aaron, right? He invited us over and I remember the first time I went over there I, w- I felt so weirded out. All right, I'm sitting down in a lawn chair in his backyard, and we're all hanging out. I'm like, I'm just meeting this guy. And he's like, yeah, so you wear shoes, like size 15 shoes or something, right? I'm like, how do you know this? This is really, and he's telling me all these things about my life. I'm like, what is going on? And I found out he works with my dad. Um, I didn't know that, so, you know, he and my dad had talked a lot. But throughout the course of time, Aaron and his wife would invite us over all the time for bonfires, for dinner, you name it, they'd hang out. Aaron would come to our, our basketball games and involve himself in the lives of, or the events from our school. He was present in our lives. And over that course of time, I was able to see, because of all the, all the time that I spent with Aaron, how Aaron lived his life for God. I saw what living for Jesus looked like, what really caring for somebody looks like. Because he spent time and involved himself with us in relationships. And what Aaron did is he took connecting relationally to the next level of casting a vision. That's our third point today. Casting a vision. Paul talks about two ways that Titus and the leaders of the church are to be casting a vision. He talks about teaching what is fitting for sound doctrine. So there's talking. And then setting an example of good deeds. Both of these things take time. 
And sadly, we live in this culture that's like a microwave culture where we want to put something in, 30 seconds later, you got a hot potato and you're ready to eat, right? And sometimes we view ministry like that. We want to jump in and one month in, we want to see a bunch of fruit. But the reality is sometimes it takes years and years to create that kind of fruit in our ministries. There's a quote from an unknown author that I thought was interesting. It says, experience is quick and easily gotten, but doctrine takes time and a great deal of effort. My question, are you putting that effort in? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be exhausting at times, but are you putting that effort in to pass the torch to other people, to cast the vision? So teaching and modeling biblical standards, they're good, they're difficult, but they're good for us, or for a couple reasons. One, it, it reflects your relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? It's one way to grow in that relationship, to cultivate it. As you serve other people, you're going to find yourselves back at the, at the throne room of God, bowing down and saying, Lord, help me. I have no idea what to do right now. I have no idea what to tell this person the situation. Or it's going to provide some accountability to you. Just the fact of knowing that there's people around you watching the way that you live your life is going to make you stop and think before you make that decision or you do that thing. Is this really worth it? What kind of message does this send about living the Christian life? There's some accountability there. It's going to stretch you. It's going to grow your own wisdom and understanding as you have to seek out answers to questions. I can't tell you how many times middle schoolers, you know, middle schoolers are fascinating people, okay? Because in one minute, they'll be talking about, like, Minecraft, all right? Which some of you are like, what is Minecraft? It's a good question. The next minute, they're asking, like, the deepest philosophical question you could have possibly think up, and you're like, where do you jump from this to that? And I find myself many times like, man... That's a great question. I've never thought of it like that, or I've never thought through that. I've got to go come up with an answer. And it's forced me to go and follow up. I gained my own understanding. I learned, and then I'm in turn able to go and share with them. It's a great opportunity for growth. Um, and lastly, it demonstrates your love for Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He's commanded us to go, to, to make disciples, to pass the torch. What an opportunity to show Jesus that you really love him by going and coming alongside someone else and saying, hey, I want to show you how I live my life with Jesus. And it, sometimes it's a, I have some middle school guys I hang out with and I call them up one day and said, hey, I've got to go pick up dog food from the store. You want to come with? And they're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, why not? You're not doing anything. I'm just going to the store. Might as well hang out. It was the weirdest thing for them, but we just went. They were part of my life, okay? And you just show them in your everyday doings, how do you live out your faith? How do you do that? Um, there's, this, there's this video. I thought about showing it. It was a four-minute video, so I was like, four minutes of a 35-minute sermon. That's a lot of time. I'm not, so I'm going to explain it to you. And I, I think it's a great picture of discipleship. And this is a video that you could look up later. It's a video of a Japanese swordsmith. His name was Watanabe, which, first of all, I think is an awesome name. All right? Then there's Anderson. It's like everybody's got the last name Anderson. You're like, is it E-N, O-N, or Watanabe, all right? Um, so Watanabe is a swordsmith, and at the time this video was recorded, he was one of 30 swordsmiths that were left in the world making a living making these swords the old-fashioned way. And so he goes on and talks about, you know, as he was a younger man, he started making swords because he thought it was cool. I mean, what young guy does not like swords and knives, right? You're like, I just want all of them. Okay, so he's making his own swords. He thinks it's awesome. He grows up and realizes, you know, I can make a living doing this. 
And in the process, he developed this great appreciation for the way that swords were made, the, the heart and soul that went into it, the process that it happened in, and he wanted that tradition to carry on. So he brought on a, what he calls a disciple. He even called it a disciple. And he showed this young man every bit of the process and taught him and kept doing it over and over again. And this is the one part of that short video clip that I thought was like, wow. He says, I want my disciple to surpass me as a sword maker. I want my disciple to surpass me as a sword maker. What a vision, right? What if that were each of our vision with our relationships with Jesus, with our walk with Christ, that we would care so deeply about it, that we would want to pass it on, that we would go and show with great precision and expertise what it means to walk with Jesus, and that our hope would be that those we are discipling, that we are passing the torch to, would surpass us as disciples of Jesus Christ. What if? What if we lived our lives that way? How would your life look differently if that was your mentality? I want you to surpass me. What if you were wanting your kids? How would you disciple your children if you wanted them to surpass you as a believer in Jesus Christ? That would be transformational. That would be crazy, but what a wonderful thing. And some of you in this room, especially right now, I'm going to talk to some of you younger people, okay? I get to talk to you guys a lot, but I'm going to do it again now. There may be people in your life who are trying and working to pass the torch to you. It may be a, a parent, both your parents, a grandparent, an aunt and uncle, family member. It may be a coach, a youth leader, it may be a teacher, a neighbor, you name it. Somebody who is investing in your life and wants you to grow. I want to tell you, this is all that they can do with the torch. They can only hand it to you. It is your responsibility and only yours. It's not your parents. It's not anybody around you. It is your responsibility to take the torch. And that's a countercultural thing in your world. All right? Because there's a, there's a country song. I like country music. Some of you hate it. Um, there's a country song called Young and Crazy by Frankie Ballard. And I think he kind of sum, sums up this thought in some of his lyrics. I'm just going to read them. I, I could sing them to you, but for your sakes, I'm going to just read them. All right? Frankie Ballard says, I want to sit out on the porch telling stories about my good old days when I'm pushing 80. How am I going to be old and wise if I'm never young and crazy? I've got to live a lot of life if I'm going to give good advice when I'm talking to my grandbabies. Right? You think about that for a second. Right? You, do you understand the message that he's sharing? Well, there's truth. As you grow, you gain wisdom. Right? But the, the message that he's sending in those lyrics is, be young and dumb. Just have fun. Do stupid stuff and learn from it. But I'm going to tell you right now, I thought about this and I was like, do you really learn something from doing something stupid if you knew it was stupid before you did it? You already knew it was dumb. Like, why'd you do it again? You know, so uh, our world will tell you, you know what, right now you're young. Who cares about being mature and wise? There's a time and a place for that and that's when you're old, right? And I know some of you teenagers are like, man, adults are boring, and some of you have told me, I don't want to be one of those boring adults when I grow up. And some of you adults are like, yeah, that's how I thought when I was a teenager. And then you're like, wait a minute, I am that boring adult. <laughs> oh, no. You know, but it's because you are growing mature and wise, all right? So, teens, there's, there's a great balance here. Have fun. Live life, yes. But don't be foolish. There's people, there's adults in your life who care about you, who want to see you growing with the Lord. Model after them. 
If they're walking with Jesus, watch how they walk with Jesus. Ask them questions. If you see someone who's living their life out with Jesus the way that you would want to, that you can admire and respect, go talk to them and say, hey, can we hang out sometimes? Because I I see the way you live, and that's kind of like, wow, crazy to me, and I want to live like that. I want to see how you do it. I want to understand. I want to grow. Take that initiative. Don't just wait for someone to come alongside you either. You have to take the torch. That leads us into our last point for the day in summarizing all of this. Passing the torch involves continuing the race. Continuing the race. If you have received the torch, whether that's somebody in your life has come along and handed it to you, they've taken the time to invest in your life, to care for you, to show you what it means to walk with Christ, or you just found yourself in a point where you're in a church and through the ministry of that church you came to know the Lord and uh, you now have that torch, doesn't matter. If you have that torch, whoever you are, be looking for somebody to pass it on to. Pass the torch on. There's always somebody that you can find. You may be thinking, man, I don't know many people in my life right now who aren't believers. Or, there's somebody. There's a neighbor. There's a, there's a co-worker somewhere that you can pass the torch on to. And there always will be until we are taken into glory. So I don't care if you're 12 years old or you're 80 years old. Who are you passing the torch to? Who are you showing what it means to walk with Christ to? Will you pass a torch? I want to summarize and close with this illustration. All right? and some of you may be familiar with it, but suppose, just for the sake of argument, that you're, an, you're a great evangelist. You're an awesome evangelist, and you can lead, you lead 1,000 people to Christ every single day. I mean, think about that. I don't even know if I talk to 1,000 people in a day. All right? But you lead 1,000 people to Christ every single day. That means at the end of your first year, you would have led 365,000 people to Christ. Basic addition, 1,000 pe- persons a day, 365 days of the year, 365,000 people. Now, suppose there's somebody else who takes a little bit of a different approach. Okay, you're like remote going back to math class right now. Solid, all right? So brush things up here. Uh, and they, in one year, decide to invest in one person's life. And they decide to teach them how to live out their faith, to grow them in their doctrine, and show them what it means to walk with Christ, and eventually show them how to reproduce themselves as a believer into someone else, to be disciple multipliers. All right, at the end of the first year, there would be two. Like, wait a minute. 365,000, two. Now, if you continue this trend at the end of the second year and you're adding 1,000 people a day, you're up to 730,000 people. If you're the disciple multiplier, you're now to four. Okay? Again, you're a little behind. You're thinking, I don't know, Jeremy. If you keep doing this, after 10 years of adding 365,000 people a year, after 10 years, you would be at 3,650,000 people. It's a good number of people, right? If you continue that on to 25 years, your number would be 9,125,000 people. It's a lot of people, all right? That's a, good, that's a good number. However, if you were to take the multiplication where you invest in someone who can then reproduce themselves and you continue that process of multiplying and multiplying, at the end of year 10, you'd be at 1,024 people. Still not there yet. But by 25 years, you'd be at 33,554,000 uh, 432 people. Over three times more than if you were adding a thousand people a day. Over three times more because disciples multiply. That's how God designed it to be. And if you were to bump that year up to year 26, you'd be looking at over 67 million people that have been invested in 
That's a number that would not be able to be reached for another 158 years if you were adding 1,000 people a day. So it looks on the front end like, man, just add people, just add people. But reality speaks that over the long term, if you actually invest in someone's life to the point where they could reproduce themselves as a believer in somebody else who can do the same thing, could do the same thing, it's a far more effective process. Years down the road, you're, you're impacting more people's lives than you could even come close to if you as an individual were able to hit 1,000 people a day. It's about passing the torch. Passing the torch so that somebody else can then pass it on to, to another person. My closing question is, who are you passing the torch to? Who are you passing the torch to? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you just for uh, your word. Thank you for student ministry. Father, it is a blessing to serve in it and blessing to get to know teenagers. And Lord, uh, I pray that this would be the heartbeat of our church, to, to pass the torch. Whether it be in small groups, it's in Sunday school classes, in children's ministry, student ministry, whatever it may be, Father, that we would be in the business of passing the torch. Uh, Father, each person in this room, I ask that you would grant each person wisdom and, and guidance in doing that. Lord, in their own lives, that your kingdom would grow on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. We praise you for the time that we've had here together. I ask you to be with each of us as we go about our ways this week. In your name that we pray. Amen.